0: Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day to day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode 20, recorded June 22nd, 2021. Our guest this week is Scott McWilliam, the founder of Kite, a startup looking to revolutionize the way we get around in smart cities. We'll get into what that means after Grant does his tech news. All right. That's the uh, part of the program that Grant loves more than anything else. It's where he gets to entertain us with his selection of news stories from the world of tech. What do you got?
1: I think you're going to like these ones, Alan. Um, not that you don't like the other ones, but I, I kind of think these are pretty interesting. Uh, you probably know some of them, but I still think I got to talk about them anyhow, because uh, many don't. Um, we talk a lot about robotics and how they can be creepy, and we're not sure what we should do. Um, I don't know if you're aware that in China, they just announced the project. Um, file they talked about it. Now it's rolling out called AI Live.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, you know
1: what? Baby no, baby Sophia. But...
0: N- n- what? No. Or
1: baby Sophia or baby Einstein. Okay, well, you're going to love this. So, couples who want to have a third child.
0: No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> I knew you are going to. Yeah. Yes. Robot. It's a baby humanoid. And it's being done with Unisec, a partner. And it's already uh, coming out. And they're a Hong Kong-based company. But get this, Alan. So the idea behind it is, okay, I know. I, I don't see me. I, I don't get it. But anyhow, you have this humanoid baby. It will be approximately three to four years old. So it's bigger than a little baby. And the reason being is it is going to be your kid, your baby, your kid, your teenager, and look after you when you're old.
0: But it's, oh, my God.
1: I know. I know. I know. Uh, no, no. It's a humanoid. Well, I know, you know, Alan. I mean, I okay, so I did catch you off guard, right? Because well, I know it's, they've been talking about it. I really didn't think much of it. And then I read and read, and I finally heard it was released. It's
0: a new project. This, this is like that next Netflix series, Humans, where you have humanoids looking after your family.
1: <laughs> it's a, no, it is that. What are you talking about? Well, like I, I know it comes to reality.
0: So, so wait a second. So, this is a okay, so if the kid's five years old, or the robot, the humanoid is five years old, so it's Three feet tall ish. Yeah. And, yeah. And and does it does it it does changes. It, well it its intellect grows as it yes. keeps it longer?
1: Of course. It's AI. It learns all its lifestyles from you. It's you teach it. Remember, you teach your kid. Okay. No, no. It is a real kid. It grows up based on age, just like anyone else. But the difference is at the end, it looks after you because it doesn't get old. It doesn't. I mean, sorry, sorry. It doesn't get sick. It doesn't right. get old. I don't know. I mean, I think that so, now. Right. I,
0: now I've, I've. I always say this. Now I've heard it all. So is this supposed to be a caregiver? Is it supposed to be no, a proxy no. for 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 an, another child? Or what is it? Spo- what's the point? Proxy of another child.
1: Ugh. And you can have a baby Einstein or a baby Sophia or. But think about this, Alan. Now what do you do? Do you, you tell me that now you put your kid in the chess competition and he wins every time? Is it going to be humanoids <laughs> against humans? And, yeah, I know. That's right, right? I mean, it, it's, anyhow, uh, why am I saying I'm not really shocked yet? I think it's amazing. That's all
0: well, there was, that, there was that Stephen Kubrick movie called AI. Which, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. that? With the, the yeah, parents yeah. who adopted the baby, the, the robot to yeah, yeah. take the place of a child that died? Do you think everything on TV somehow comes to life?
1: Wow, I'm amazed. Um,
2: I'm. You can read
1: about it, by the way. If you just type it in, it's. Uh, but the company, since you understand, the company is called UNESCO, and they're partnering with Hanson Robotics. Okay, Hanson Robotics, and they're Hong Kong-based company. Go read about it.
0: How I, much? How
1: much? I just blown away. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, what do you wow. never put a price on your own kid? Alan? No. <laughs> this way you can. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Okay, um, moving completely to a different area, uh, where we talk about always about the green world and carbon, uh, carbon uh, rem- uh, emissions, and so on. Um, the um, there's a project called Vesta, um, and it's a unique green and San. It's a it's, it's a San Francisco nonprofit. And what they're doing is they're spraying green sand all over a Caribbean beach. And what that green sand does, it acts just like, you know how, um, we always tell people, we always are taught that the trees and the grass, they clean up the carbon waste in the air because they absorb it. Right. Okay. So they have created, um, this carbon, um, they could pull tons of carbon dioxide into these, so, right, and lock it away for for hundreds and thousands of years. I don't know if you know this, but um, at the bottom of the water, in the bottom of, of oceans and that, when you see all these old shells of animals and all that, and they're all covered, that's mm-hmm. covered, so you know, in carbon forms that are stored. And that essentially is what they call carbon sink, right? So what happens is a chemical reaction when it goes through these carbons, uh, that removes the CO2 from the atmosphere and mm-hmm. carbon dioxide then collects on in rainwater and comes down, right? So what this stuff does on is that it sucks it in. And essentially what it does is that it, instead of taking like a million years to start building up and, and working, it takes years and years. And so we now have this carbon removal program by, and then, so what the point is, if you were, and they're now testing now on a beach in the Caribbean, um, it's on the beach north of the Dominican Republic, north shore of the Dominican Republic. And they have a test bed that's doing it now, but the beach looks, looks green
0: right now. They spray it. With, with all these carbon capture schemes that people are coming up with, yeah. I, I always wonder what happens with this carbon? Where do you store it? And how do you make sure that it doesn't just burp out one day? creating an environmental catastrophe
1: correct correct and it doesn't like so you know most carbon that has been stored on in the ocean and that um or things stays for life it doesn't ever go away it just because you know what happens it it demineralizes so it's really good um you know it, it actually they end, a clean rivers and lakes and so on so again um, from my standpoint i think it's pretty cool Um, I would like to watch the project and see what happens. But if you could, you know, if you started doing this everywhere, I mean, I don't know the cost. Who knows? And it's just a test study.
0: Uh, It could be a a really huge uh, effect on the world. Well, I do have faith. I do have faith that we are going to come up with some sort of gigantic sponge technology that's going to take excess carbon dioxide out of the air.
1: Well, that's what this does,
0: really, right? I mean, but you're right. More to come. And then rather than store it, somehow use it for something uh, useful.
1: Well, uh, you know, I'll have to look that up. (laughs) You know what I mean? I may have to look that up. Okay. Um, Okay. So let's see. We've talked about humanoids and robots, which I think are cool. We talked about um, the the new world of, uh, of, uh, you know, green, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And now we'll talk about something that we seem never to be able to avoid, and that's COVID and the effects. Right. So, um, Jerry Usim, which is a, a publisher and a, and a professor, he, he published a, an article, and I think it was very interesting, so I want to talk about it. It's called The Psychological Benefits, and here's your best one, of commuting to work.
0: Okay, psychological so what, benefits of commuting, of commuting
1: to work. Of okay. commuting to work. In other words, many people – who had been commuting from work their whole life are now experiencing a major void in their life. And they can't even... So in other words, you know, we, we as people are, I hate to say it, kind of like robots. And certain things that we do every day in a certain format, Alan, every day, create in our own body a relaxation. So relieves tension, relieves stress, And you know that, Alan, what happens when you wake up? I got to have my coffee. No, not all, but I'm saying, and then I got to read the paper. And then I got to get on the go transit. Then I got to spend that half an hour thinking on my computer. And then when I get off there, I walk here, and you know what? I'm now ready to work. What they're saying is, believe it or not, people have a void in their routine
0: and they're having a big problem with it. Well, I believe that because you want to psych up for going into work. Okay. That's the word they use. That's
1: the word they use. You want to psych yourself up and everyone has a different experience.
0: Right. You want to be able to get your game face on and ready to get to work. And then on the way home, you need that opportunity to, to decompress. Now, that's good. That's it. I'll give you an example. You know, my wife has been working from home for over a year now. Um, She gets out of bed and goes right to her desk. And this is like quarter to six in the morning. And she, is at her desk until about noon, stops and have something for lunch, and then goes right back into it, and then stops around 3, 3.30. But it takes her, even, she's, even though she's not commuting, it takes her an hour and a half just to come down enough so that we can have a conversation in the evening because she's still in the work mode. You just
1: uh, related the whole problem. That's exactly what people are doing. They're getting up. They're attacking in here. They have no routine. Routine is just bang, 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 bang. And as you know, once you're on, you can work forever in theory. Um, so in a lot of cases, the people that used to not take the break once they started now don't have that, that pre-preparedness pre-prep- for, for getting ready to work, and they don't have the decompression at the end. So think of finishing at your normal time at five and then saying, hey, let's go out. There's no sense. They're not de- decompressed. They're uptight. They're still thinking. They're not slowing down. That work home, I know someone sit there and yell at people and hate that guy cutting me off. But believe it or not, it's all part of the process. And they're saying, get this, there are consultants who are building up tasks and and actually Things that people can do to get ready and decompress. There's now consultants for this.
0: I'm again not surprised because one of the things that we've learned in COVID is that yes, we can be very productive working from home, but at the same time, the boundaries between work and personal life are almost completely erased many times.
1: Correct. Okay, they said
0: that too. <laughs> Good work, Alan. Right, and so the commute is is, is that's the boundaries. Those are the boundaries. you know. The, the, yeah. uh, I am not working until I get on the train or get in the car or get to the office. And I am not at home until I get off the train or get out of the car. And then I turn it off?
1: You may not, but some say I'll turn it off.
0: All right, all right.
1: Yeah, that Pretty makes good, sense. right? I mean, yeah. that, that's an interesting one. I think um, that's one of the social things that we're all going to face, most of us are going to face. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves.
0: And that's it for my news. Scott McWilliam is the founder of Kite, which has nothing to do with telecoms, but everything to do with getting around a city in a cheap, eco-friendly way. He's here to explain how he hopes to keep more people out of their cars. So, Scott, when when I, I don't know anything about Kite Mobility, I looked at the title when Grant sent me the link, and I thought we were talking about some kind of telco, some kind of wireless company, but are we? We're not.
2: We're, we're not, although it's nice to hear the, the, the name rings in your ear. Um, So essentially what we're trying to do at Kite is evolve the the transportation business. And and that sounds like a big monster, but essentially we're trying to move people and things more efficiently in urban environments and in cities. Does that mean car sharing? Does that
0: mean what? How are you doing that?
2: There's a concept called micro mobility. And micromobility typically is, and you gentlemen have probably seen it in your travels down in California, especially, or in Europe, um, these electric bikes, electric scooters, or small vehicles that, you know, you see Amazon using now or Pure later uh, to move small packages around. And, and, and so micromobility really is vehicles under 500 kilograms, typically electric powered. And, and for us at Kite, what we're trying to do is move people around in the cities more efficiently. So we're trying to take some cars off the road and utilize some of the, the bike path infrastructure. And uh, in, in doing so, we're trying to reduce the congestion and emissions. But we've got a slightly different take on it uh, at, at Kite than you typically would see in some of these you know billion-dollar valuation companies that have been been out for a few years. And I can expand on that.
0: Yeah, please do. What, what exactly are you doing differently?
2: So there's this concept called centralized to decentralized, but, but what these scooter companies or e-bike companies do, or, or even what you see in downtown Toronto, for example, in the, in the city bike share, uh, program is have units available to, to the public. And so as a member of the public, you can go and, you know, find a bike or find a scooter, get on, uh, go where you need to go and, and, and get off and, and stop your ride. But for us, um, after studying the market for a while and you know being part of the transportation industry for a long time we thought what if we centralize it what if we bring the vehicles to the people and so if you're living in a condo or a tower or a community and about half of the population in, in the hundred largest cities are living in these towers they call them you know condos apartments reITs societies in india whatever you want to call it but by bringing the vehicles into the building infrastructure itself, then it becomes part of the smart building. And for the user, there's nothing much more convenient than you know booking out whatever you want for the day, the week, the month, going down in your elevator, and simply picking out the vehicle that makes sense for what you need to do, be it an e-bike, an e-scooter, or a car, uh, or a robot that we're testing out.
0: Okay. So that's kind of like when I go to certain hotels, they make a bicycle available for use of the guests.
2: Correct. Yeah, exactly. And so what we're trying to do is to make it part of the building or community. And we're trying to match the, you know, the vehicle type to the profile of the building. So if your building is, you know, skewing older or younger, more affluent, less affluent, no, a big part of this thing is is making mobility accessible to everyone in the population, just not the affluent. So, so you you for for young people you might
0: have one of these scooters, mm-hmm. uh, the, the two wheeled variety, and for an elderly couple you might make a one of those rascals those those three wheeled scooters, uh, three wheeled. Uh, what do you want or, call Or it? a
1: car, or a car. So, so you have to remember, Alan. They have um, in a traditional setup, they'll take an area in a garage and have may or outside a garage a building a car, couple cars depending on how big it is scooters, uh, bikes, everything. So it's a whole calamity of uh, car sharing. That's why when he called it micromobility, he's taken it much further. I mean, it could come out to, well, I mean, he hasn't got them, but Alan, you know, you and I would want hoverboards. But but of course, (laughs) I know, I'll get off the hoverboard, okay? But anyhow, my point being is, you laugh, but he will be renting those one day. But anyhow, so it's a whole
0: calamity you said the vehicles have to be 500 kilograms or under what kind of what's the biggest thing that you can offer
2: So a, a car you know so so you know we would offer elect it's all electric vehicles because we you know we believe wholeheartedly in sustainability and being part of the, the solution but you know it could be a um an electric suv it could be an electric you know small car um but but we want some of the the rides and you know there's you know trillions of trips every year in in, in multiple cities. And typically people are just get in their car, right? So in, in most cities, you know, the, the average trip length is about five kilometers. And so about 70% of the trips in cities are within five kilometers. So you think, you know, you guys spent enough time in, in downtown environments where you get in your car to go, you know, five to 10 blocks and it takes you an hour and you're frustrated and the person next to you is frustrated and beeping at you and everyone's frustrated. And so, you know, it does make sense to get in a car sometimes when you need to get, you know, further distances or outside of the city. But oftentimes you can either walk or you can get on an electric bike or an electric scooter, which really allows you to get to places fairly efficiently on the city infrastructure.
0: Yeah, it really drives me crazy when I see somebody in a Range Rover going three or four blocks.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's fairly typical, um, but it's it's not the smartest approach to travel.
1: Well, let me think about this. So. Um... I would never have been the one to say I would hop on a scooter to go to an appointment, but I would now if you could drop it somewhere in the same somewhere else and get off, and even if I had to take it back. But if there was connections where you could park it and receive it, and I don't mean out in the sidewalk, of course, um, whether it be a scooter or you know in the future the hoverboard, um, how um, is that the idea to have this network everywhere? And in fact, you couldn't, in, in fact, take a scooter. And go home in a bike?
2: Would that exactly. Be
1: yeah.
2: It's interesting. That's the holy grail. I mean, it really, it's supposed to be complementary to the other modes of transportation. So there's this concept called, you know, some people call it multimodal or interoperability. Yeah, multimodal, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: And so, you know, we think of a local example in in Ontario or Toronto with, with the GO stations or MetroLink. So the idea would be you live in a condo downtown Toronto. and you need to get to you know the grocery store. Well, that's easily done on an e-bike or an e-scooter, but sometimes you need to get in and out of the city. You need to take the train or streetcars. And so partnering up with the Metrolinx of the world so that you've got sort of VIP parking and you don't need to park your car or worry about a parking space and take up space in the city and uh, get on the go train, for example, come back, realize that you need a bike at 5 p.m. to get back to your condo, And just park the e bike right back in your parking garage. Go up in your elevator, and you're done. So it's 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 really about. I actually love it.
1: Uh, I was thinking the opposite, though, Alan. You get on, you get on the um, go because it makes sense. But when you get downtown, you hop on the e bike and go to the baseball game. Come back, get out of the traffic. Hop back on the e bike. Hop back on the go transit. I mean, it really is inventive. I like the idea.
0: So, are these arrangements you're making with building owners? Are they made with transit systems? Uh, what's how does the infrastructure actually work itself out in terms of ownership and location of these depots of vehicles?
2: It's with the building owners or the developers or the condo corps, and you know the reason is obviously they they house you know about fifty percent of the population in most of the cities, and um, there's kind of two sides of this for the for the developer. There are many out there that are leading edge in terms of sustainability. The the smartest buildings, uh, the the smartest materials, you know, the most efficient HVAC systems, and so they really want to be part of this solution and to get you know the the car, the traditional combustion engine cars off the road. Some of them are, are more financially, you know, motivated and incentivized, but but that's fine. Because the, the cities, most cities around the world are putting fairly significant, stringent mandates on developers. So they have to meet certain parking ratio requirements. They'll have EV charging stations within the building. And they have to meet certain uh, emissions. And, and if they don't, they'll be penalized. And in fact, the ones that do and do a good job of it can build up carbon credits and sell them. Back.
1: But Scott, are you telling me like, and I didn't, this is something I'm learning today, um, So I know that in Ontario, not yet in Quebec, and we're doing a lot of EV, that that you must have, you know, as you know, in BC, it's 100% in new developments. You must have a certain percentage of EV. Where does your mix come into the requirements? Or is that just a mode uh, that they use to appease some of the requirements to even help it better?
2: It's the the former. So the parking ratio requirement, it it could be you know upwards of, of 20% of your available parking spaces have to be Correct, earmarked. Yeah. And so so with that, you know one parking space could be one electric vehicle car. But also one parking space can house, you know 10 e-bikes or 12 e-scooters. And so that would still fulfill the requirement and so electric vehicle. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, but but now you're wow. you're doing a 10x on the amount of people that you can move around yeah. because
0: without actually increasing the amount of space that you require to store the
2: vehicle. That's right, exactly.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I, I really truly think that uh, it's going to be very big, and if it isn't already, and, uh, you know, we're involved in it with with, uh, with their firm, but I just see this as uh, pretty well anything that, and I think what you're doing is, you're only, and I think you should, it's going to be all EV and think of uh, the green solution because you are promoting, um, infrastructure management, congestion, and all that stuff. Um, but I see um, it being a big part of of the uh, landscape.
2: Okay, a couple of things. Who owns the vehicles? So we do. K- Kite owns the vehicles. We we put them in. We manage all of the operations. the The developers will give us the space, which which meets their requirements anyway. Um, we put in the, the chargers and the, and the people. The the residents or guests of the the condos. Have a, a an app on their smartphone, or it's connected to one of the, the smart systems, like the the iPads on the wall that's connected to the building amenities, for example. But typically, uh, Alan, what you would do is you would just say, "Look, I I need to get to you know the bank tomorrow morning at ten a.m." And so uh, you would just say, "I'm going to reserve a vehicle at ten a.m." So you go down in the elevator, you jump on an e-bike, and you pay you pay per, per use. So you'd pay per per mile or kilometer. And as long as we're setting those prices better than anything else that the, that that the other alternative modes of transportation, then it just makes sense for the people to use it. You can get there faster. You're part of the solution. It's cheaper. So so why not?
0: Right. Okay. So a, a subway ride would be three dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. You can do it cheaper than three dollars and fifty cents.
2: We can do it at, at at the subway rates, and it's and and that's kind of the baseline. But the experience is so much better.
0: Yeah.
1: It's different, Alan. I think that the guy who wants to go from point A to point B in the subway at the cheapest price is going to continue doing that. But this is a whole different experience. Um, I love it. And because, you know, I mean, and in subway, you're you're accustomed to stay on the line where I can go on that bike and go five blocks east or west of where the subway is and continue onward.
0: So um, like, I think this should be partnered with the subway, quite frankly. Certainly would make sense. You would have these vehicles available at every transit though. What if I want to go to Ikea and I I need to do, do you have something that can can accommodate that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, part of the typical mix would be a certain amount of electric vehicle cars, typically a small one and a large one. And then you'd have, you know, a whole series of e-bikes or e-scooters. As I mentioned, we're we're playing around with uh, small robots that'll deliver the pizza to your, your condo door when it arrives from Uber Eats, for example. All right, I want to talk about robots. What kind of robots are you actually working on? Well, we're we're testing out a number of them right now, and um, actually, we're we're in some discussions with, with with Grant on this to to test out what's the best solution. But you think about our our environment; it's it's a condo typically, and so with the uh, the Amazon effect, if I can call it that, the the front desk is just inundated. It's a complete nightmare for these. Um, these condo corps to manage and the front desk to manage. There's millions of packages coming in every day. There's pizzas, there's food, there's all kinds of things. And so we, we thought that um, from a security and safety standpoint, first and foremost, if the the food or package can get dropped off in a centralized depot to, to a robot, and then the, the robot would actually connect to the elevator, it would know which suite to go up to. It would alert you on your phone that it's outside the door. You open the door, and there you go. You 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 take delivery, and that's that's what we're after.
0: Funny, I was in a hotel in Singapore that had a couple of these things in the lobby, and if you needed towels, yes, you would you would phone down to to the the front desk, and and these this little thing with it with this weird sort of anime face would show up at your door with a couple of towels. So you're talking about robots within the the building itself.
2: Yes, yeah, e- okay. exactly. So they're they're not going to go out on the street, and you don't have to worry too much about. LiDAR and autonomous and all that kind of stuff. You just have to, you know, ensure that it's getting to the elevator, to the suite. But you're absolutely right, Alan. You know, a lot of hospitality companies are testing this out right now to move, you know, towels and food around.
0: Let's talk a little bit about security. Uh, When I was in Nashville, they have a a scooter sharing program and I would be walking down Broadway and right in the middle out of, in the middle of nowhere uh, of the sidewalk would be... uh, one of these scooters, somebody just dropped it there. How, how do you combat that sort of stuff?
2: That's, that's one of the biggest problems of this sort of movement. And, and that's, you know, at the onset, we, you know, we spoke about the, the decentralized um, kind of model. And, and that's it. So it's, you, can, you can pick up a scooter or a bike on, on many street corners and the, the company's algorithms will tell them which corners to put them on. But, but typically, people will, will leave them in the middle of the sidewalks you know, I was in, I was pre-pandemic, I was in Zurich and, and, and I saw people actually pitching them into the river. And so, you know, this is a problem for, for cities, but but for us bringing them inside the building. So it's an amenity within your building. So you think about it like your, you know, your gym equipment or your, your board. Yeah, room. no
1: tenant, no tenant's going to throw the bike away if they're linked to the building.
2: Right, it, exactly. It's, it's, it's part of your building. It's part of your community and you're always bringing it back. And and you know and incidentally your your credit card's tied to it, but there's that there's that feeling of community, right? So you're you're not you're going to probably treat it a little bit uh, a little bit more carefully. How about insurance? Ah, yes, the mm-hmm. Holy Grail. <laughs> it's um, this is one of the biggest challenges we have to deal with because this is so new to insurance companies, and um, you know there's there's some leading edge companies one out of Turkey and a couple out of California. And and, and finally, we, we paired up with one because the concept of who owns what and who's taking responsibility for what was was very new to them. And so uh, we do have insurance. So, so so Kite covers covers the insurance. And in fact, the, the third-party liability, as they call it, the, the user insurance is built into the price. So it's not so – you think about renting a car, for example, at the airport. And you can opt in or out to the to the insurance. But for us, it's always opt in. It's always insured. And and that gives people the peace of mind and also you know us the peace of mind as well.
0: Well, that's a good way of doing it, making it automatic.
1: Well, we had that. We had that um, when we first rented cars. Mean? When I was a kid, I was like, let's do that, right? They didn't break everything up.
0: They had now, cars
1: then? <laughs> yeah, they had cars. And uh, I think they did, maybe not. but uh, But the fact is, Uh, you just, it was insured. And then they realized we're losing too much money insuring all these cars. Either we're going to charge for it or we're going to self-insure. So many of the auto rental companies self-insure. So when you're actually paying, um, you're paying them and they're, you know, hopefully hoping that you don't get in any accident. which normally that's happens. Um, in the case of something new, you always have to have the insurance in place. Uh, that type of, uh, the, the As I had mentioned many times, Scott, the whole concept and st- structure, cost structure will change as evolution changes how we
0: use the system. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about urban or downtown core versus suburban. Is there a way to expand? I mean, we can, I guess, let's say you would go to a, a commuter rail hub. And you would have some vehicles waiting there so you could do all your suburban work. But what about suburban to suburban? Because in, in a lot of cities, you will have people going from suburb to suburb, not necessarily going from suburb to downtown to work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we're contemplating right now. We started with cities, but you know, I spend about half my time downtown Toronto, for example, and half my time in Oakville. And I think that going from my, my residence in Oakville down to a go station to get in to watch a Jays game, for example, right? And parking is always a nightmare. And mm-hmm. um, I can't just pull up to the front if I'm last minute and I typically am. And so um, if you're living in a, in a condo uh, environment or a community even within the suburban environment, then the idea would be that you you can take one of these vehicles to the go station get VIP parking right at the front, plug it in, charge it, take the uh, go train rather into the city. But that the key to it is that you always need a vehicle uh, waiting for you if you need it. So you don't want to get back into Oakville and not have a vehicle there and be, be stranded. Of course, there's always rideshare. but part of our reservation.
1: Yeah. I, I think that uh, I think my, my viewpoint is I think the urban, the, the urban uh, plan is easy or easier, but I think suburban plan is very important because the, flaunt, the 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 exit of many people out of the city and the resurgence of these planned communities in the rural setting. I don't mean rural like rural rural, but I mean an Oakville or a Burlington or a, a Guelph or uh, or even smaller. Getting every condo is being is, is is like a resort now, and they're trying to offer all the amenities to everybody. And be able to go to a condo and say, you know what, maybe I won't even buy a car. And don't laugh. A lot of people are in that position because I'm going to spend it on my condo. And if I want to go golfing, I'll hop, I'll, you know, my clubs will be at the club where I'm a member, or I rent a car, or I take something with me. But my point is, I can go shopping one day, I can go down to the beach the next day. I don't really need a car. Um, and it has nothing to do with urban transport for work. Has to do with just transferring myself around to daily activities, which, quite frankly, could be fun. Um, that's why I look at the s- suburbs.
2: Exactly, Grant, and, and you know, you, you you know, you look at our sort of cohort, if I can call it that. But you, you think about the, the the millennials, and we like to make fun of the millennials, but but Gen X, Gen Y, the buyer behavior behavior is very different, right? A lot of these, a lot of these people don't. Even get their driver's license, Remember at sixteen. I was at the at the driver's license office. You know, I was so excited to get get my car. That's not the case anymore. And so, to your point, rent from you know you're contemplating a you know real estate isn't cheap, and you're contemplating a, a, a condo. And so, can you go up in amenities and and go up a level if you don't need a car, or maybe you go from two cars as a couple or a family down to one car to one exactly.
1: I think that's no. I think it's happening and. You know, it's funny, but you said about um, the, the, why it's so important what you have is the reason I have. So I've gone from a lot of cars to a few. OK, so leave it at that. But my point is, and why? Because I don't need them. But, you know, I have a car because I like driving cars. But that's me. I don't think that's the norm. Um, I have a car because I like cars. Many people own cars because they love them. Um, but many are second guessing. Um, like I simply went from to less cars because I walk everywhere now, and I learned that from the pandemic. Not, and I had to bring it up. I guess I had to. Um, the pandemic has changed the mind frame of many people, and I would think that for the ones who are in between, in other words, I don't want a car. I don't need a car. To oh, maybe I need a car, and I might need some mobile stuff. But I'm not taking Uber anymore. I'm not car sharing. So it looks like eve, it looks like this a mobility sharing or micro mobility sharing in your case has a
2: real opportunity here. I think so, and it's it, you know it's it's been done in, in 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 different cities. Not not as so much as the kite model integrating it within buildings, but certainly you know moving people around in cities in Paris, Amsterdam, Oslo, Tokyo, Copenhagen. You know these are all cities that are so, so forward thinking and and really designing the city around people, not the cars. And, and, and I'm not anti-car. In fact, I love cars, and I, I worked for many car companies in, in my career. But this this sort of romantic idea that we grew up with, that you, you get in the car and you you have this nice drive and the wind in your hair, that's not really <laughs> the case in cities anymore, right? Just, you know, well, you we have to have
1: hair, first of all. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. exactly. No, I still like that, by the way, Scott. I still look forward to that.
2: I do too, but, you know, and spending a lot of time in the downtown core living there, it just it just became a nightmare to try and get in. Oh, no, no.
1: It makes total sense in the urban climate. No, there's no doubt. I think that I'd be shocked that – and I'm, you're probably saying – you're saying to me, then be shocked, Grant. I would be shocked that every new development doesn't have this. I don't care if it's just three or four spaces. I mean, think of it. Everybody who – if you have 300 residents, the odds of three spaces being used all the time
2: are pretty high. Exactly, and especially when it fulfills some of the sustainability. And and you know, it's it's also a nice amenity in your building. It's a modern transportation amenity in the building. So so developers um you know are really excited about this and you know as are our technology partners like like WorldStream, Locomobi and SmartOne and all the rest of them. I mean it's it just makes sense. Finally, can you give me
0: some examples of where your where work height mobility is is in full force?
2: Yeah, exactly. We've got um, projects downtown Toronto actually launching in the uh, following 30 days. Uh, in one week, we're launching in Montreal. It's a six-tower community. And so this is just at the at the very starting point. But we see this working in, in most cities around the world in terms of the the typical decentralized mode where you see bike share and scooters everywhere. But our, our, our take on it is that by bringing it to the building, to the people, it's going to be far more convenient in terms of access.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, you probably need to know Alan uh, Kite's a startup. And um, Scott comes from a string of startups that are all been in the same industry. So he's very familiar with this because we integrated with a former bike startup he did. And so he's only taken this to the next level, of being multiple sharing and so on.
2: Yeah, exactly. Our, our hope is that it'll be in many, many buildings. I mean, there's, I think the number is, you know, 500 and, and counting cities in the world with a million people plus. And in, in each of those cities have thousands of, of buildings, as we all know and we see. So integrating this into each of the buildings, I think, makes a lot of sense, first and foremost for the residents. And then secondarily, to the to the developers themselves. And you know the city's benefit as well. They're 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 very behind this and excited about it.
1: Can I ask one more question? Can you have a flex pass?
2: We can play with all we love that. We can play with
1: think of it. A membership. A membership yeah.
2: like Club Link, but it's a membership with Kite. I pull that card out anywhere I go. I, I sat down with <laughs> a developer last week who had that very concept. He said I, I want I want a membership within all my build within all my I think it's
1: fantastic. I think it's fantastic.
0: Kite Mobility, not a telco, but a company that wants to be able to get people around efficiently and in an environmentally friendly sort of way. Thanks very much, Scott. Appreciate your time.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to Scott McWilliam of Kite Mobility. We'll be back soon with another program featuring more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. As always, feedback is welcome. Send everything and anything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Note the URL. Feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Check out our website, thesmartcity.blog, for past programs as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant, Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.